Luke chapter 19, and I want to draw your attention beginning in verse 1. And it says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. In the previous chapter, Jesus had revealed to his disciples that in the very near future, when they arrived in Jerusalem, that he would be mocked, he would be beaten, he would be killed, he would then rise from the dead the third day. And they are making their way to Jerusalem. And along this journey, they pass through a city called Jericho. Now, we know from the book of Joshua in the Old Testament that the original city of Jericho was destroyed and even cursed. However, the city had been rebuilt and divided into two separate cities. The ancient city had a population of people that was more like a, a hamlet or a village. It was rather small. But there was also about one mile from the ancient city, a new city called the New Jericho. And this was built by Herod the Great. And the city was about a thousand feet below sea level and one of the most desired locations to live in or to visit because of the warm climate throughout the year. The city was also well known for its balsam trade and date palms. In fact, history reveals that this balsam trade became so lucrative and so desirable that at one time, Mark Antony had given the rights to Cleopatra. But at this time in history, Herod the Great had taken ownership once again of this precious commodity, and he had actually capitalized upon the opportunity that it presented. And because Jericho was so rich in the balsam trade and there was so much industry going on in this region, it also brought about a great amount of taxation. So Jesus and his disciples are now passing through this area, but Jesus has a divine appointment with one man. And we read in verse 2, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. As a child, I grew up in Sunday school, perhaps like some of you. And I can recall one of the songs that we used to sing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And you get the idea when you sing that song that this little man must have been nice. I mean, must, I mean he was vertically challenged, but he was nice, man, and, and, and he climbed trees. And so you get this impression that he was probably a really nice little guy, elfish in one sense, perhaps. <laughs> but the name Zacchaeus, it means innocent and pure. When parents named their children, it was with the hopes that they would live up to their name. 
But Zacchaeus did not grow up to be innocent and pure, but rather he was dishonest and wicked. And the reason is he was a chief tax collector. And we've considered the nature and the character of tax collectors before in Luke's gospel. But in order to be a tax collector, you had to buy your position from the Roman government. And the tax collectors would then be required to collect a certain amount of taxes from the people per capita. That's actually where that that comes from during this time, per capita, per the population, which would include property tax and income tax and a host of other taxes as well. But anything that a tax collector could get above and beyond what Rome required, he would keep for himself. And the tax collectors were notorious for exploiting their own people, and thus they were despised by everyone. There was a price to pay to hold the position and have the occupation of a tax collector. You would not be able to attend the synagogue. You could not have any social relationships with people Because people would not want to be near you. By being in your presence, they would be polluted and considered unclean. So the only people that you could really associate with if you were a tax collector were other unclean and defiled tax collectors. It was a lonely life. In fact, the Jewish rabbinic writings known as the Talmud describe and declare that it was permissible to lie to a murderer, to a thief, and a tax collector. And the reason was because they engaged in such criminal injustice. In the minds of the people, there was only one thing that was worse than a tax collector, and that was to be the chief of the tax collectors. You were the worst of the worst. You're the lowest of the low. But we find that this little man was filled with curiosity concerning Jesus. And it says in verse 3, he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. And so he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Somehow, news had reached the ears of Zacchaeus that Jesus was passing through his town. And the Bible says that he sought to see him. The language implies he kept on trying to see him. What was it that Raise the curiosity of Zacchaeus. Why do you suppose that he would want to get a glimpse of this Savior whose name was Jesus? Perhaps Zacchaeus had heard how that Jesus had not that long ago made a tax collector whose name was Levi, Matthew as you know him to be, one of his disciples. Levi was employed at the tax office in Capernaum, which was not far from this area of Jericho. Perhaps they were associates, and he knew that he had left everything and decided to be a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus actually accepted him and made him a disciple. Perhaps that was the thing that sparked his interest. Or Maybe he had heard how that Jesus ministered to sinners, how that he welcomed them. He was called the friend of sinners. He was numbered amongst the transgressions and ridiculed because he received such people. Zacchaeus certainly fit that category. It is possible that Zacchaeus was tired of living this life. He was tired of of, of the guilt and the shame, and, and maybe he just grew weary of it all, and he realized, I have all of this wealth and all of these things, but I'm empty. And I think perhaps Jesus may have something that I need that I do not yet possess. We don't exactly know why, but we do know that he was motivated. You know, people have different reasons for inquiring about Jesus or coming to church. 
Something prompts their interest. And so they show up. Maybe their mother invited them for months on end. And it's Christmas. And here you are. All right, mom, I'll go to church with you. And here you are in this place hearing the word of God today. Or maybe you're in a situation right now where things are difficult. Some trial has hit your life, some tragedy even. And you realize, you know what? I, I, I don't have the strength to go through this. I need to get to church. Or maybe you were going to church at one time. Whatever it is, God has used these circumstances in your life to bring you to this point to draw you to himself. Now, when Zacchaeus sought to see Jesus, there were many obstacles standing in his way. For one thing, he was short in stature and he could not see over the crowds. I can relate. Have you ever been to a parade? <laughs> you ever been to a parade and everyone's standing there and, and they just, they, you can't see over them? Some of you don't relate, but, but you know. <laughs> and you just try to push your way through the crowd and you wish that one of these giant-like people would just put you on their shoulders so you could see the crowd, see the, the parade passing by. But no one was going to let Zacchaeus in. It almost appears that they were blocking him out. Oh, it's Zacchaeus. Make sure he doesn't get to see Jesus blocking him out. But this little man, he would not be denied. He had spent his whole life fighting the crowds. You imagine growing up in, in, in school and being a wee little man? I mean, you just, you learn to fight, you learn to run, you learn to do whatever you have to do to get ahead. You're the chief tax collector. You're not just a tax collector. If I'm going to be, I'm going to be the chief. And so... What he does next is probably people were rather surprised. It says he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass by that day. I want you to picture in your mind, imagine a man dressed in the most expensive suit that you've ever seen. And he's also got a briefcase and it's nice. He's got these incredible $700 shoes and he's running down the street, sprinting. And you think, that's really weird. Why would that guy, you don't normally sprint in a suit. That was Zacchaeus. And not only that, you think that's uncharacteristic. It was in that culture, that was not the cultural norm for somebody like this to run. You don't run anywhere. You send people to run for you and you wait for them to come back. So he's running with his robes, pulling him up, running down the street. Is that Zacchaeus running? I didn't even know he could run. <laughs> but what he does next is even more uncharacteristic of someone in his position. He climbed up a tree. That's the last time you climbed up a tree. So he climbs up this tree, and he's hanging out there, and he's, he's waiting. I would love to see what this was like. And so he's waiting there for Jesus. He overcomes the obstacles, and while he's sitting there in the tree, it says in verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, that he looked up, and he saw him, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. It says that Jesus came to the place. He came to where Zacchaeus was, and he met him there. Where were you when Jesus met you? What place were you in when the Lord came and found you? When the Lord initiated relationship with you? Where were you? Do you remember the place? The place that you were was exactly where he met you. He came and met you where you were. He sought you out. He's the good shepherd that goes after the lost sheep. And he came and he found you. And it says here that he not only came to the place, but he saw Zacchaeus. And the vision of Jesus was much different than any other person. For Jesus could see not only the exterior of a person, he could see the heart of a person. He knew what was really going on inside. He knew that Zacchaeus was a crooked little man. He knew that he was a thief. 
He knew that he was hated by everyone. He knew everything about Zacchaeus, and he loved Zacchaeus, and that is why he sought him. You know, friend, today, God knows everything about you. He knows who you are in public. He knows who you are in private. He knows everything about you, and he loves you. And that is why he is seeking you. That is why he is seeking to draw you. And so Jesus comes and he sees Zacchaeus there. He knows everything about him. The Bible says there is no creature hidden from God's sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God sees you. He knows about you and he loves you. And so Zacchaeus is there, and he he wants to see Jesus. And Jesus not only sees Zacchaeus, but what happened next would have been shocking to everyone, including Zacchaeus. For when Jesus looks up and sees him in the tree, he calls him by name. Hey, Zacchaeus, he knows my name. I mean, he knows who I am. And then he says, why don't you come down from there? I must stay at your house today. My house? You're going to stay at my house You know who I am, right? I'm Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. It says that Jesus declared, I must stay at your house. You remember in John's gospel, the fourth chapter, when Jesus was near the area of Samaria, he said to his disciples, I must pass through Samaria. Why was he intent on passing through Samaria? Because there was a woman there who was at a well who needed to be saved. He said, I must go through there. And here he comes to Zacchaeus and he says, I must stay at your house. I must be with you today. I don't want to miss this opportunity. And so make haste and get down. Well, what would Zacchaeus' response be? Well, it says here that Zacchaeus in verse 6, he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. No hesitation in his response. It was immediate. Not only was it immediate, but it was joyful. Zacchaeus could not believe that this rabbi would want to stay with him. And so he got down from that tree quickly and received him joyfully. Let me ask you something today. Have you received Jesus joyfully? Have you made haste to respond to the call of God? Or are you one of those people who has procrastinated and put it off and not received him joyfully? You're one of those people that says, I'll get around to it when I have time for it. Or one of these days, I'll, you know, surrender my life to God and I'll serve God. You know, I'll get around to it. Listen, friend, you may never get around to it. There is not a more convenient time than right now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait. Receive it with joy. Make haste, friend, because you may never have this same opportunity again. It might pass you by. Zacchaeus could have easily stayed in the tree and said, it's cool, Jesus. Just keep on going. I I don't, it's all right. I have everything that I need. I just wanted to check you out. No, he got down and quickly got down and received Jesus joyfully. He made haste. Now, It says in verse 7, but then, or when they saw it, that is the crowd, the multitudes that were also surrounding Jesus, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. There were haters in the crowd, to be sure. It says that all complained, everyone, all of the people there could not understand how Jesus could reach out to such a sinful man. Jesus was continually criticized for reaching out to people who were lost, people who were in need. For Jesus to meet at Zacchaeus' home would be a total and complete act of religious incorrectness. But it didn't bother Jesus. 
people couldn't understand. They were criticizing the compassion of Jesus because they didn't understand the ministry of Jesus. Jesus will say in only a moment's time, I came to seek and to save those who were lost. Well, what happened while Jesus was a guest in Zacchaeus' home? Something wonderful happened. A conversion, salvation came to the home of Zacchaeus. For in verse 8, it says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. As Jesus came into Zacchaeus' home, he also came into Zacchaeus' heart and his life. In Revelation, the Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open the door, I will come in and dine with him and have fellowship with him. Zacchaeus opened up his home and really he opened up his heart. And when Jesus came into his life, everything changed. His mindset changed. His perspective changed. His heart changed. His entire life changed. It is very obvious by the, by the things that he did, the actions were a demonstration of his salvation. He, he didn't offer half of his goods, everything that this wealthy man owned, half of everything I have, I give away to people who are in need, who are poor. And if that's not enough, everybody I've ripped off, I will give them back fourfold. I mean, that's really a true sign of a conversion. This guy is, is genuine. Jesus didn't ask him to give away half of his goods to feed the poor. This was something that he wanted to do because his life was changed. He wanted everybody to know, I am not the same man. And this was clearly a demonstration. He didn't do these things to earn salvation. He did these things as a result of salvation. You know, when somebody's truly converted, when somebody is truly born again, their life changes. It just does. Your speech changes. He used to speak profane words all the time, dropping this and dropping that and throwing that out. And suddenly, you're, something happened to you. You start saying, praise the Lord and hallelujah and how can I pray for you? Did I just say that out loud? You did. It's a change. I don't know how it happens. It just does. It's something God does in your life. It's not something you can, you know, stop on your own and get a swear jar, and I'm going to put money in there every time. This is going to make me stop. It won't make you stop. By the way, I always marvel at people when they do things like that because they, they have this jar, and they fill it up, and they go spend it on, they go out to dinner. It's like, and celebrate? Why? <laughs> it's something only God can do. And Zacchaeus is a completely different man. He was formerly spiritually blind, but now he could see. He was dead, now he's alive. And notice he calls Jesus Lord. He said, Lord. In other words, my life is submitted to you, surrendered to you. Lord, look, everything that I've done, I wanna make it right. I wanna live differently now because you are a part of my life. This was a radical conversion, a genuine conversion, and Jesus acknowledged salvation has come to this home. By the way, you remember last time we were together, we looked at another very wealthy man, a rich young ruler. You remember? And this rich young ruler, Jesus came to him and he told him, listen, I want you to sell your stuff and then I want you to come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And it says when he heard this, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. 
And the disciples saw this man go away, and, and, and they were in shock that, that he did not respond. And they wondered, how could this guy not be saved? Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They said, well, who can be saved? And Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but with God it is possible. And here you find the possibility of salvation, even with a wealthy man who submits and surrenders his life to Christ. And he gave everything away because he wanted to follow Jesus. Salvation had come to him. Salvation was made possible by God. And then Jesus makes this statement, and how I love it. It says, for the Son of Man, verse 10, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Did you know, friend, that this is really the true, genuine meaning of Christmas? That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And why did he come? To seek and to save those who were lost. Even from the very beginning of man's existence, all the way back in the book of Genesis, when man first failed there in the garden and sinned, man, being aware of his condition, sought to hide from God. And God, making his way through the garden, said, called out Adam's name, seeking him. Adam, where are you? And it wasn't the voice of an arresting officer, but it was the voice of a brokenhearted father seeking out a lost son. Where are you, Adam? Not that he did not know where Adam was. He certainly knew where he was hiding, but he was seeking him, seeking to draw him back unto himself. And throughout the scriptures, we find from Genesis to Revelation, God seeking those that are lost. Even in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 16, the Lord declares his loving intentions through his prophet when he said, I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. I will bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. That's God's desire. Are you lost? Are you broken? Are you sick in the midst of your sin? All oh, the Lord is looking for you. The Lord is seeking to draw you unto himself. I wonder why is it that God would seek me out? Why is it that God would pursue sinful man in the way that he does? Well, for one thing, because we are lost in sin. All we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah tells us. We have all turned everyone to his own way. And not only have we been lost in sin, but we've been wrecked by sin, ruined by it. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Apart from God, we have our understanding darkened. We are alienated from the life of God because of our own ignorance, because of the blindness of our heart. We were, we were past feeling. We were given over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, Paul said in Ephesians. And God, knowing that we were in that condition and knowing that we couldn't find ourselves or rescue ourselves, he sought us out. He initiates reconciliation. He's a God of reconciliation, and so he seeks to draw men to himself, those that are ruined by sin and those that are destined for wrath because of his great love. He seeks us out. You know that the name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. At his birth, the angel declared, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Friend, this is the heart of God, to seek and to save those who are lost. Well, as you proceed in chapter 19, you come to verse 11, to a parable. 
And it says, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Now remember, at this point, Luke has been telling us all about the kingdom. Jesus has been preaching the kingdom. The disciples are anticipating a kingdom. They're talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They're asking if they can sit on the right hand and left hand in the kingdom. After the feeding of the 5,000, it says that the people came to Jesus and sought to take him by force and make him their king, but he refused. And so now as they're coming closer to Jerusalem, everybody's expecting the kingdom's about to happen. It's about to go down when we arrive there. And so Jesus, knowing their anticipation and that the kingdom wasn't going to come expectantly as they thought right away, but it would come eventually later on, he has to tell them a parable to describe this, not only for those who were following him, but also for his disciples. Even after Jesus rose from the dead and he's about to ascend into heaven, the book of Acts, the first chapter, tells us they said to Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has put in his own hands. In other words, the kingdom isn't going to come immediately but it will come eventually. And so he tells this parable to make this point clear. It says in verse 12, therefore he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants and delivered to them 10 minas and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and they sent a delegation against him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded the servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then the first came saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. Then another came saying, master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you do not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you. You wicked servant, you knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then? Did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has 10 minas. But they said, master, he has 10 minas. For I say to you, to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. As I said, many were anticipating the kingdom was about to arrive. And so Jesus, the first thing that you find in this parable is Jesus is saying, the kingdom is not coming immediately. It's going to come eventually. The church was living, the early church was living in the expectation that the kingdom was going to come at any moment. They lived in light of the return of Jesus. And the church presently needs to be living in that same light. If they were living, anticipating the return, how much more should we be living for the return of Christ? When you see revivals within the church and you see a holiness that is connected to the church, it's when the church is living with the expectation of the return of Jesus. And I think that is something that we need to be living for and, and be anticipating because it could happen at any time. 
And so Jesus said, the timing of the kingdom is later on. It will happen. But notice in this parable that the king gives a command. And the command is found there in verse 13 when he calls the servants to himself and he entrusts them with a stewardship of 10 minus each. It was equal opportunity. Everybody had the same amount. They were given a stewardship. He gave a command that they were, what was the command? To do business until I come. Our king has gone away for a time. He is coming again. And in the interim of that time, as we are waiting for him to return, what are we supposed to be doing? We're to do business till he comes. Well, what kind of business? Our father's business. Do you know what your father's business is in? Are you part of the family business? What is the family business? It's preaching and sharing the gospel. Every single one of us have equal opportunity. We have been entrusted with the message of the gospel. You've heard that message. I've heard that message. And, and doing business till he comes is not simply sitting in a chair waiting for him to arrive. It's living my life for Christ, preaching the gospel, living the gospel. That is a stewardship that every single person here has been given. That is a command from the king. That's what he told his disciples to do, to occupy until he comes, to be his ambassadors, to preach and to proclaim the gospel as if God himself were pleading through us for men to be reconciled to God. That is our stewardship that we've been given. But also we find not only was there a command given by the king, but we also see there was rejection concerning the king. In verse 14, there were citizens that hated him, and they sent a delegation saying, we won't have this man reign over us. You remember when Jesus, and we'll see it in a few weeks, when Jesus stands before Pilate and the crowds are gathered and they are accusing him falsely, and Pilate, having scourged Jesus, beaten Jesus, says to them, what do you want me to do with your king? They said, we have no king but Caesar. Well, what am I supposed to do with this guy? And they said, crucify him and let his blood be upon us and upon our children. We will not have this man reign over us. And Jesus, knowing he even prophetically predicts what they will say, we won't have this man reign over us. And they wouldn't. They rejected their Messiah. I wonder if you would say these same words. I'm not going to have him reign over me. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do in the way that I want to do it, and no one can tell me any different. Some people live that way. They will not bow the knee to Christ. They will not surrender their life to the Lord, and they reject the king. It was a hostile environment to which the servants would be left in. Not everybody was excited about the gospel message then, nor are they excited about it today. This is the environment that we're in. This is the area where we are doing business. But then we see the third thing, that they had to give an account to the king, for in verse 15, it says that when he returned, not if, but when, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded the servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much everyone had gained by trading. The servants that had been entrusted with the stewardship now had to give account for the stewardship they had been given. And every single one of us, the Bible says, will one day give account to the Lord for what we have been entrusted with. We're all going to stand before the Lord. And as a Christian, you don't stand before the Lord at the judgment seat to condemnation because your sins were judged at Calvary. Your sins are already judged. But you will stand before the bema seat of Christ, as Paul called it, that place where you will receive rewards for the way that you've lived this life. Be rewarded. There's a crown of righteousness, the Bible says, for those who have believed. It's laid up for us. There's treasures in heaven. These are the things that you're going to be experiencing when you get to glory. We're going to give an account. 
And those that gave an account, when they gave back, they invested it, and then they gave back more. Here's what the master said. Well done, good servant. You were faithful in the little that you were given. Now I make you charge over much. It's a principle found in the scriptures, a principle of faithfulness, being faithful with the little that God gives you, and then God entrusts you with more. That is a principle found in the Bible. And sometimes people say, well, I'll be faithful with the big things. Hook me up with the big things. I am ready. I am so faithful. Just, but listen, if you're not faithful in little things, you're not going to be faithful in what is much. That's where you learn to be faithful. When God gives you what he gives you, and you're faithful with it, and then God entrusts you with more. You know what I found in my life? The things that God has entrusted to me, be they little or large, I realize that it's far more than I deserve. Far more. And I realize that the stewardship that I have been given, that I am going to be held accountable. And I want to be faithful with what it is that God has entrusted to me. Parents, listen, you not only have a stewardship of the gospel, but a stewardship of your children. God has called you as a mother or father to be faithful with that stewardship. We're going to be accountable for how we raised them, how we directed them toward the Lord. That, that's a stewardship we've been given. Have we been faithful with that? What have, you, what have you been given? Are you being faithful with that? God's going to hold us accountable. And how important it is to be faithful. And it says that they were rewarded by the king. He said, well done, good servant. That's what we want to hear Jesus say. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's something that every believer is going to hear when they stand before God. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. I can think of nothing more wonderful in all the world. No greater commendation than that of Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. But there was another man. It says here, who was a servant, and he was unfaithful. He took what he had been given, and it says he hid it in a handkerchief, no less. And he said, I knew you were an austere man. I knew I was, I was afraid, and so I didn't do anything with it. I just, here it is, it's yours, thinking that perhaps he would be rewarded. He wasn't. He was called a wicked servant because he knew what was required of him, and he knew that one day he was going to be accountable, but he put it off, and he never did anything with it. And sadly, there are people like that today. They know who God is. They know that they're going to be held accountable, but they're just not doing anything with what God's given them. They're too caught up in so many other things that there's just no time for that, they say. And so this man, what he had was taken and given to someone else. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10, behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand and his arms shall rule for him and his reward is with him and his work before him. Oh, in the first coming of Jesus, he came to the kingdom, as it were, and his citizens rejected him. He went away, and he left his servants in a hostile environment to continue to be faithful with what they had been entrusted. And then we find in the parable him coming back again and holding his servants accountable and rewarding them for what they had done with what they had been given. And then we see the kingdom being established, and notice what happens to his enemies in verse 27, but bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. The first time Jesus came, he came in weakness. He came as a suffering Messiah. But the next time he comes, it's a different picture. He comes as a conquering king. He will rule and reign with a rod of iron. The nations will be subject to him. And those that stand opposed to him, those that are against him, although given all of this time in human history to repent, if they do not repent, they will suffer the consequences of his judgment. But I want to encourage you, how much better it would be today to bend the knee, 
to humble your heart, to surrender to the king. One day you're gonna stand before him. In fact, it may be sooner than you think. Are you prepared to meet the Lord? Are you being faithful with what you've been entrusted with? Are you like Zacchaeus, making haste, receiving him joyfully? Has your life changed? If it hasn't and you desire it to, it can happen today. You could leave here today a brand new creation in Christ. Everything can change in a moment when you invite Jesus into your heart. Well, Pastor John Randall is leading us through the Bible right now on a daily walk. And I'd imagine some of you would like to hear this message from Luke again. Maybe you joined us late. Go online to adailywalk.org and have a listen when it's most convenient. Or request a CD copy for a cost of just $5. You can reach us toll free at 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. Another way to listen to Pastor John's teachings is through our mobile app. It's free and even available on Apple TV. Do a search for Calvary South OC. And we have a podcast, too, available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we're super excited about this month's offer. It's a book from our friend in the ministry, Barry Stagner, titled The Time of the Signs. In it, Barry explores the events that will precede Christ's return. And he answers common questions like, Why is the rebirth of Israel the most significant sign that the end times are near? Where does the rapture fit in the chronology of all that will occur in the last days? We're making it available to our A Daily Walk listeners for the cost of $12. Again, you can order online at adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828. And by the way, anything given above that amount will be put to good use and help people all over the world grow in their daily walk as they listen to these daily studies. In some cases, actually enter into a relationship with Christ. Again, you can donate online safely and securely at adailywalk.org. You know, we often say it around here at A Daily Walk because it's true. We want to hear from you. It lets us know where the ministry is having an impact. And also, we love praying for our listeners. Write to Pastor John by email today at adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk at gmail.com. With a preview of our next study in Luke, here's Pastor John. I think this is important for us to realize as well. Lord, all that I am, everything that makes up who I am, I lay it aside. Lord, whatever makes up my agenda, my plans, my purposes, Lord, you're the king. You you just do in my life what you want to do. I submit to the Lord. Maybe as you're approaching a new year, you've already made your resolutions that maybe you didn't fulfill last year, and this is the year, man. It's gonna happen. Just watch. You'll see. You know, I'm gonna lose this or gain that or find this or whatever it is you're looking for. But I want to encourage you, take the outer garments of your agenda and your plans and your purposes and submit them to the king and say, Lord, have your way in my life. And you will find that God's plans for you are far better than anything that you could come up with on your own. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor John Randall. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor John's teaching ministry by visiting adailywalk.org.